also think that people are really afraid of pushing their comfort zone. And I think paradoxically, like pushing your comfort zone is a really good way to, to stay comfortable. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 270. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a beautiful conversation with Rose. Rose considers herself monogamish, and we cover a lot of ground in this conversation, especially around discovering your desires through exploration and how she's done that in her life. Yeah, as Emma said, this is a great conversation, and we're super grateful to Rose for coming on and sharing everything. And just to touch on the soundbite that we used at the beginning there, uh, one of the things, I guess, as Emma kind of touched on, like a theme here is how to explore and push your comfort zone safely and to really figure out what it is that that drives you. And she talks about how she's done that uh, in discovering sort of her queerness and being a lesbian. And also she's a legacy non-monogamist. Her parents- <laughs> That's true. Her parents are non-monogam- non-monogamists themselves. And- And we talk about that in the conversation. We do for sure. And we also- well, let's say this. If you happen to be the person who emailed us because you hate the term orginizer, you're going <laughs> to you're going to want to go ahead and plug your ears for the next about 30 to 40 seconds because the way that we were introduced to Rose is through a former guest on episode 141, Zach, who was the original organizer for the Yale Orgy team, which disclaimer is not actually affiliated officially with Yale. Just throwing it out Correct. there for, for legal reasons. <laughs> but uh, Zach went to Yale. G, uh, not G. We're, we're going to get to G in a second. Rose goes to Yale. We were put in touch with Rose through Zach because uh, Rose is the current Yale organizer. Right. Well, co co organizer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and a little bit about orgies and orgy etiquette, orgy planning, orgy safety, using orgies too. You guessed it explore your <laughs> desires. And so this is a great conversation. And you were like, who's G? G was on episode 180. G was another Yale organizer. So this is our third. We're, we're going for the trifecta here. We are. And don't worry, links to all of those other episodes that we just mentioned will be in the show notes too. So you can go back and listen to all the fun Yale organizer experiences after listening to Rose. Yeah. And just again, to really kind of drive the point home, not that we haven't already, this conversation is about so, so, so much more than orgies. And we're just really grateful to Rose for coming on and sharing. Yes, very, very much so. For Anyone who's a premium subscriber, we're going to jump right into the episode right now. And for anyone else, you're going to listen to a few quick announcements from us. First up, if you're not familiar with the premium subscription, it's a way to skip these announcements up front. But don't worry, you still get important dates and community announcements at the end. Yeah, so if you're tired of hitting the fast forward button, uh, well, you can do this instead. Yes. So no complaints about how long this gets. (laughs) Correct. Next up. Wait to sign uh-oh, up. To sign up. Yeah, we should probably tell them how to do that. <laughs> Go to our website, normalizingnomonogamy.com, and click on the button on the homepage to sign up. It's probably closer to the bottom. Okay. It's we, still there. We, we make promise. it really hard for you. We promise. 
It's right there. All right. The next thing we wanted to mention is on January 28th, 2023, we are doing a community gathering out here in the San Francisco Bay Area. It is kind of informal, fairly small, sort of ad hoc, but we decided to throw this together kind of at the last minute. It is open to anybody who is part of our community, whether you are currently part or you are about to go and join here in the next few minutes. Yes. Or after you listen to Rose. But nevertheless, we will be doing a dinner and drinks. We have a pole, private pole dance class scheduled. We're doing a yoga retreat. Retreat's a bit of a strong word. A it's, yoga class. <laughs> you can retreat to the yoga class for an hour of yoga. <laughs> We're doing, I said, dinner and drinks. We've also got community member-led activities. We've got a hike already planned, Mm -hmm. and we've got a brunch on Sunday planned after yoga. Yes. After the yoga retreat. Yes. (laughs) If you're not familiar with our community, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the community button. You can find out more information there. It's only five bucks a month to join. You get access to not only like these cool events on the January 28th, but you also get access to an online community. We have monthly Q&A calls, monthly men's groups, women groups calls, and you can find out all the information there. The other exciting thing we wanted to mention. Did we tell them where to find that? What? To join the community. Yes, I did say that. Did you? Yes. You said to go to normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the community tab? I did say that. Okay. Um, But just in case you forgot, there you go. I'm going to tune back into what's happening. And I'm back. The the other exciting thing we wanted to say is that on Thursday, January 19th, we have our next virtual meet and greet. These are open to anyone. You do not have to be part of the community. You just must be open-minded and respectful. So these are a super fun two-hour event in the evening where you get to hop online and hop on Zoom, Zoom and get to meet a lot of really cool, like-minded people and just have fun conversation. It's really low pressure and we love these events. So come check it out January 19th. You can sign up on our website normalizingnonmonogamy.com under the events tab did you tell them where to sign up i did just then i know <laughs> did you catch it i was making fun of myself <laughs> hilarious hilarious indeed the last thing that we wanted to tell you about well you guessed it stdcheck.com it is our favorite way to get tested for stis hey maybe you're coming to the community gathering not that not that it's orgy focused it is not but perhaps you might meet cool people. You never know. We, we already told you that there were going to be cool people there. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not coming, it's a great time to get tested for STIs. Do it in January. And then you just know like every three months or every six months, it's it's easy. Yes. So STD check is our favorite way. MNI's favorite way to get tested for STIs. It is fast. It is easy. And best of all, it's affordable at about $129 exactly for a 10 panel test. You go into any like national blood lab, LabCorp, Quest, and they take all of the fluids they need. <laughs> and 24 to 48 hours later, you get a text where all of your results are in your online portal. And I don't you know can- why I'm laughing so much at how you said that, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> anyway. So the whole point was. You get your results in, in 24, 24 hours. to 48 hours. Yes. And then you can show them to all of the amazing people that you are out there commingling with in the world. Yes. Two. Find it. Oh, yeah. Where to find it? You go to normalizingnonmonogamy.com and you click on the resources tab or on the podcast tab and you look at any one of the show notes from any episode between now and forever ago. Correct. And you will find links and those links will save you the $10 and wonderful as well. It supports the show financially and we're super grateful. So thank you. So thank you for doing that. And with that, we we want to invite you 
to reach, reach out, out to us. us. Send us an email <laughs> or a voicemail. You can find that on our website under the Contact Us tab. We would love to hear from you. We will voicemail you back, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Actually, Emma, we've got one sitting in the voicemail box we need to respond we to. We do, I know. To Sweden. Yes, I know we do. All right. Shout out to Sweden. Your voicemail is coming after this. <laughs> we'll get it to you. And But yes, anyone send us a voicemail or an email. We'd love to hear from you. And to anybody else, have a wonderful listen to Rose. And let's we'll go. see you on the other side. Yeah, let's go. Welcome, 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 Rose, to the podcast, to the conversation. We're excited to have you. I think I'm just going to say, and what people will learn what all this means, well, they know what the word means, but a legacy conversation in multiple multiple facets of the word. So we're <laughs> true. super excited to have you here and talk today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a long time coming, so I'm, I'm very excited. It right? has. We have been trying to schedule this for a while. And don't let us down. So <laughs> make, the, make the wait worth it. <laughs> wow, way to add pressure. No, I'm, I'm super pumped. We know enough about what's coming that I'm super excited. So first of all, do you mind introducing yourself to everybody so we know a little bit more about who Rose is. Yes. Hi, I'm Rose. I make music and I'm an originizer at Yale. So I throw sex parties there only occasionally, but it's a very fun and special part of my life. And I'm so excited to be chatting with you all today. Yes. And for anybody who's like, what's an organizer and what's a Yale? <laughs> uh, if you go back, we got two episodes that you can you can check out. Episode 141 with Zach and episode 180 with G. Both Zach and G, and we did an orgy episode, actually. You might yeah. want to listen to that one as well. We'll put links in the show notes. Don't worry. You don't have to remember the, all the, of this. The Yale Orgy Club, <laughs> not officially associated with Yale, but Yale adjacent. And we've got the third... This is our third conversation with an organizer, and we are thrilled. So I'm sure it will come up again, but we're excited to have you here. I also want to say I don't normally introduce myself as Rose Yale organizer, but I felt as though it was relevant for the podcast material. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Whatever you're comfortable with today. And, and that so- seems unbelievable considering you're wearing your jersey from the Yale orgy team. So uh, <laughs> I think you... <laughs> <laughs> we should make I merchandise. Just, That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I yeah. was trying to think what what legacy am I going to leave when I graduate, and I think that maybe it's it's Yale orgy merch. They're merchandise. That's brilliant. right. Though. Yeah, the, the Yale jer- the orgy jerseys. Yeah. Purple Yale orgy strap ons done. There it is. Oh wow! All right. Yes, the store will be live by the time this goes up. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so what does? We, we know orgies exist in your life, but what, what does relationship look like for you today, Rose? And then let's go back in time because how, how did we get here? Yeah. So uh, Dan Savage, I think he coined monogamish and I really liked it because mm-hmm. I think that I, I like to live in long-term romantic relationships that are mostly monogamous and that's kind of what I'm in now. But I think that I like them to be spiritually influenced by non-monogamy and also with a little wiggle room. So that's, that's my favorite type of like romantic relationship. I also think that I was hoping to ask you all about this as well, but I feel like non-monogamy has played its biggest role actually in my friendships and like in the way that I exist in relationships, um, outside of romantic relationships. And also, yeah, so that, that's my first, that's my first thought on that. Would, would you be open to expanding on that? Yeah. Like, I mean, right now, why not? Yeah. I mean, I think that like, I have always 
not always actually. I, I think when I was younger, I really hoped that I would find one person with whom I was going to spend the rest of my life and they were going to be my soulmate. And I wanted that to look really unconventional, but I didn't expect that friendship would have a, such a huge role in my life. And then I came to college and like started realizing how special it can be. And I feel like I have several relationships that are just like deeper than what I'd consider a conventional friendship. You know, like they don't, I read, <laughs> I, okay, <laughs> sorry. I used to read a lot of Shakespeare because my dad is a writer and I always was so sad because in Shakespeare plays, basically you can like either have a friend or a romantic partner. So at the end of every play, usually like the female character will get married and she'll lose her primary relationship with her friend. And I always felt that. So that was very sad and totally reflected what I saw in my life. And there are always these like older couples I knew who didn't have any friends and it made me so sad. So I decided that I wanted to have very good friends all the time who were part of my family. And, um, I think that, I don't know. I, when my, my housemate graduated, she wrote me a letter and she said like, we're going to have a barn together and we're going to raise children together. And like, we're not romantically or sexually involved, but like, I like the idea that like, I can expand the role that like friendship plays in my life to like include life partnership and to include, um, something that like is prioritized alongside romantic and sexual relationships and not just, and I feel like that is very inspired by um, polyamory and polyamorous people who are like interested in not following traditional relationship models. Like it gave you the, the freedom or the permission in some way to say like this, that this friendship, this friendship doesn't have to play by the rules of what, what other people think a friendship has to play by. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's felt very important to me. Yeah. I love that. I don't know that we've ever had anybody really call it out like that, but I, I love that framing and I, and I see it mirrored in our lives as well. That yeah. We, we have friends who run the gamut of the way that we show up and friend with them. Oh. And I think that's really amazing. And I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Because each person has a different role in your life. Yeah. 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 And I think it's also like, it's totally part of the like compulsory heterosexuality and monogamy culture that like every, you become so isolated when you like grow up and get married most of the time. And I think that like, I'm interested in how you guys and how other like non-monogamous people kind of destabilize that framework. And I feel like that's opened up room for like non-sexual ways of destabilizing it also. Yeah. That was a little jargony, but like, yeah, I I don't know. I think it's, I think it's really interesting. (laughs) No, it's fascinating. And when, when for you, Rose, when did, when did non-monogamy and we'll call them non-traditional relationship dynamics, when did that enter your lexicon? Well, in truth, I had my first threesome when I was 17 and that's, I know that, I know that there are a lot of people who don't consider that part of, um, polyamory and non-monogamy at all. But for me, it was very influential. Cause I was like, I, I, uh, my, my girlfriend calls me a prurient. She says I was like not excessively sexual, but like excessively interested in sexual matters from a very young age. And so when I was like 14, I read Anais Nin. I don't know if you know her. She's a French diarist. Mm. Um, oh my God, I sound so hopelessly pretentious, but it's really not pretentious. She just writes about sex all the time. And she wrote about the relationships with two people, Henry Miller and June. I don't know June's last name. And like these ongoing, like two relationships throughout her life that were like so meaningful to her, um, and both like coexisted and kind of intertwined with each other. And so that was very interesting to me. And I wanted like, I wanted really deep relationships and I wanted like to meet interesting people and to not cut myself off from experiencing every kind of thing with them. And then, so 
when I was in high school, I was not in any sort of, um, polyamorous, like romantic relationships, but I was just trying to meet and have sex with as many interesting people as I could. (laughs) And then, and then, (laughs) um, and then I came to college and I really was focused on the soulmate thing, um, on like finding someone who I could be with forever. My parents are like very much identify as like soulmates and they also are non-monogamous, which I think is so interesting. And so like, I felt like I had a pretty broad conception of what that meant. And then I think my expansion from there is that now I feel like not only can I have a really expansive idea of what it means to be with a romantic partner, but also how the other relationships in my life can play really strong roles outside of, outside of my like primary partner. Mm-hmm. Right. That it doesn't have to be a soulmate type connection for it to be important or valid or anything other yeah. than what it is. Or like that there can be so many like kinds of, de- not so, so many, but like that there can be several like really deep relationships in my life. And I think that that was like mm-hmm. really something I wanted. And I, I, I wonder if it's sometimes like selfish thing to want is just to like want to have an experience this step with several people. But I think if it's possible to like sustain like giving the amount of care that I like receive, then it, it is okay. And nice. Well, or even it doesn't, and just to maybe, I don't not necessarily push back on you, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that you have to give the same amount that you're getting, but that you're giving the same amount that, that fulfills them to keep them happy in that relationship, because maybe they yeah. need a whole lot less than you mm-hmm. and they're okay with that. Uh, yeah. Who, that's interesting. And, and that dynamic. Mm-hmm. What about you? How did it, how did it start for you all? I don't know if your listeners have, yeah. I'm sure they've heard some of the story, <laughs> but, but what's something that they maybe don't know? Something that they don't know. Well, they probably know this um, piece cause I, I try to sneak it in here and there, but it, before I answer this, you, you, you said a word, your, your girlfriend described you as something and it went by fast and I didn't catch it. Oh. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> Well, I had never heard the word before either. It's a prurient, P-R-U-R-I-E-N-T. And it just means someone who's excessively interested in sex, but not in like having sex. I think that word is just horny, but like in Mm -hmm. thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. In thinking about it and just exploring it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. It's a good word to throw in. Learn something new. Throw it in my vocabulary. Yeah. Right. So it's my, my, and I'll let Emma share hers and then. Uh, we can get back to, there's so many interesting things that you said that we have to dig into. <laughs> yes. So we'll, we'll share a little but bit. My, I would say my proclivity, my draw here is very similar to what you said, which is I, I really don't like putting relationships or anything in a box and saying, well, hey, you are a friend and that means these things. I would rather say like, you are a person in my life and we seem to connect at this level. And so why don't we just figure out how to do that with all of the other things going on in our lives. So yes, maybe I'm married and I have a partner. So what do I need to do in those relationships to make room or to, to show up here in this new dynamic in whatever way it makes sense and keeping everything else in balance that I want to keep in balance. And so it's just like this, I just enjoy connecting with people at whatever level. And right now, like 98.9% of that is, friends, but I have two very committed long-term partners and then other people that are like they're friends, but there's maybe a history of other activities between us. And so it's not just a friendship, but it's definitely not 
a deep romantic connection. And so it's Mm -hmm. sort of just letting them be what they be. And I enjoyed that aspect of it. And maybe I already forgot the word I already added to my vocabulary, but that's (laughs) very, very, uh, it seems fitting for me because it is something that I'm insatiably curious about sex relationships, connection, how people relate to one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of your original question was what's something people don't know about our background. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. And so I love everything that Finn shared. Um, I dodged the question though. I, I was going <laughs> to say like, it wasn't quite our history, but uh, what I will share is that long-term listeners may know this at some point it may have been shared. Um, actually in episode one, it probably was around, uh, our episode one's an interview of us. Um, but we, we got together, uh, we had, we were best friends in high school and then got together started dating in college, our first year of college. And so we had a built a foundation of trust in our relationship and a deep friendship, but going into a romantic relationship and that allowed some early conversations within the first year, year and a half around not wanting to limit each other, not wanting to um, break up. We wanted to be together, but we wanted to explore together. And those conversations started just early on and they were, they've been continual in our, in our relationship, our entire relationship, which has been many, many, many years now. I guess I should put context into many. Uh, It's been like, let me think about it. 17 years <laughs> since we've been together. Yeah. 17 years. Um, oh yeah. That's sweet. Congratulations. Um, Almost 17 and about, right. well, in a couple weeks, end of yeah. December, 20, 2005 was our first, uh, our first date, our first official date. Right around the holidays. <laughs> Is it like a little, yeah. a little mistletoe date? What was the, <laughs> it was walking through the local zoo during their lights. The yeah. holiday lights were all up. Yeah. yeah. That's darling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's just, that's been part of our conversation throughout our whole relationship. And one that I felt so thankful to have, like to, that we, you know, to Finn's credit, he's the one that brought it to me originally of like, I don't want to limit you. And I wanted to like figure this out, but I don't want to break up. And like, it just led to so many beautiful conversations between us and a long time. Like it was, it hasn't been easy. There's been challenges along the way for sure, Hmm. but it's, um, I'm grateful that we, we've had those conversations starting early in our relationship. That was my whole point. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's so, that's so sweet. Thank you so much for sharing with me. Yeah. yeah, of course. Well, so so you your parents. Yes, that's what I was going to ask you. Did, did you know this growing up? Did they like let you know, lean on this secret through high school? And I'll relate that to what I just said. We had zero framework at yeah. all of yeah. anything, so we had no idea wow. what we were doing. So maybe oh. that's um, contrast contrast that a little bit with some of your experience. I think that uh, there are a couple ways that it influenced my growing up. I did not know about it. Like I didn't. Um, they were. It wasn't something that they shared with me or my brother. I was just also, as I said, like excessively interested in sexual matters. So like my mom had this rule where she wouldn't volunteer information about her own life, but if there was any question I was old enough to ask, she was old and like she, I was grown up enough to receive the answer from her. And the only thing she wouldn't always answer questions about her personal life, but every question about sex that I wanted to know, she's also like, um, a public health scientist. So she works in like, uh, sex matters. Um, and 
so I would ask her a lot of questions about sex growing up and she was always so wonderful to talk to about it. And I didn't really ask her about her own life until I was like 16 maybe. And I was asking her about being interested in girls and like, if she ever had, and then she was kind of sharing with me some of her experiences and I started to gather, I kind of probably knew from earlier on, I think I just started to gather the impression that my parents were not altogether monogamous. And I think that I was really impressed with how they, um, kind of let that influence my upbringing without sharing it with me specifically. Cause I think I imagine if I had been younger and I, you know, they told me that I would have been like, ew, <laughs> or not wanted to know, but I was very happy. My mom was so open about sex when I was growing up. And I also think that that was very much influenced by her experience with my dad. And I, the other thing that I think it helped me understand about was like that jealousy is not a virtue in a relationship. And that like, if you want the best for your partner, then there are lots of things you can ask of them, but that like, you don't want them to be cut off from the rest of the world. You don't want them to be cut off sexually from the rest of the world. Maybe that doesn't mean that they have sex with other people, but like it, it means that like, you'd not want your partner to like only be attractive to you only like be connected with you. You want them to be like erotically engaged with the rest of the world, whether or not they're like having sex with other people. And I think that is like just a, a sexual principle that is still very important to me. That like, I think that like flirting with other people, whether or not you have sex is just important. Like you want to be hot. You want to stay hot. You want to stay hot for your partner. Like, and I think that I've been in relationships where people have been like very controlling and jealous and like really disliked it when I, you know, not, not even like hooking up with other people, but like when I was like performing shows and everyone was like, it, you know, and I was attempting to like be desirable to the audience, which I think is like part of the communication and connection. And I think that like, mm -hmm. I for sure always want to be with someone who like accepts that about me and like loves that about me and loves watching me connect with the world on the like erotic realm, even if it's not by having sex with other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> makes perfect sense. And I, I bring us up the question though, does, does jealousy come up for you? Like, is it a thing that even though you you feel very strongly about this way of moving through the world, are you impervious to it yourself? I'm definitely not impervious to jealousy, and I don't expect that my partners should be either. Um, but I think that like I I try to understand and untangle the like dimensions of my jealousy. Like I think sometimes if I'm jealous that my partner is like flirting with someone else, sometimes I try to think, okay, is there like another another thing that this is making me think of, like, is it because I don't feel attractive enough to the person I'm with right now? Is it because like, uh, there's something specific about this other person that is like activating some way that I feel, it doesn't mean that all of those feelings are like valid, like, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes, at least for me, there's like more to jealousy than, than just like not wanting to see my partner make out with someone else. And also, yeah, various relationships have taken like different forms and what is allowed or what is not allowed. But I, I do think that like I tend probably because of my upbringing and like, I feel very grateful for that. I tend to be really not jealous about things like, uh, my partner being attractive to other people or like being attracted to other people. Or I, I like being in the kind of relationship where I could be like, oh, she's hot. And then the person will like say that back. And I think that like, that is maybe a very simple, small thing, but, um, is it like a, a relationship philosophy? I also like, again, I like to see my partner's be desirable like to others that doesn't mm -hmm. bother me and so yeah but i think that that all is different than like maybe like the step of having sex with other people which i don't always do and and i do feel jealous about sometimes sometimes <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it highlights that, I mean, jealousy is a normal human emotion. It's no one like can say, oh, I just never, ever get jealous. I mean, I suppose people can say that, but I don't know if it's necessarily true (laughs) Yeah, because jealousy can come up for anyone at any time. Yeah. I'd I'd love to, to go back and maybe just carry on the timeline a little. I was just going to moving the the story. right? So (laughs) so you, you started with a threesome. Your first threesome was in high school. When you were 17. Yeah. When you were 17. And where does the, the trajectory go from there? In terms of relationships and sex and stuff? Relationships are just for you and your like, as oh. you're exploring, whether it's sexuality, relationships, non-monogamy, yeah. maybe it's back to monogamy, wherever it kind of, where does the path take you from there? Yeah. I think that, um, I feel also really lucky that during high school, there were like one or two people with whom I like shared just a really, really deep bond and connection. And like some of them Mm -hmm. lived far away. And I think that there was something nice about, I know that a lot of non-monogamous people do this too, or like people who are more involved in, I think like this scene than I am, but just like having someone who I knew that I had like a, a, like a sexual and romantic connection with, but also just like a really deep personal connection. And that that didn't have to take the form of like boyfriend or girlfriend. And I think that was something that I don't really know from where I picked it up, but I'm happy that I, that I did. And I think it allowed me to have relationships in high school and still like that are just kind of transcend the boundaries of like, I don't know. Like, I feel like some in high school, especially, I feel like it would have been very easy to like, there was a particular person who I was like hanging out with a lot. And I feel like it would have been easy to be like, this is my boyfriend. And then like, we have our relationship, it's discreet. And then we break up and like, don't hang out anymore. And now like, he's still a really important person in my life, even though we're not involved in that way anymore. And I think that's like very, very nice. And so that was important to me. And I just had a lot of little relationships that I I also think there's something to being not straight that really enables unconventional relationship forms. I think sometimes I'm really curious what your all experience with this and like other people on the podcast, but from my experience, it seems like a lot of like people who are mostly straight and non-monogamous, like are really seeking some unconventionality in their relationship because like sometimes heterosexuality is really like, like boxes you into particular roles and they're interested in breaking out of those roles. And I think that for me, I wonder if there's some element of the reverse to it. It's like, I'm interested in like kind of unconventional relationship forms. And at times that's like difficult to admit to myself or hard. And then it just kind of enables like loving in a way that is not conventional. Um, So yeah, I definitely don't know if I would have like discovered non-monogamy or these funny relationship forms if I hadn't been queer when I was younger. When did, when did that realization kind of set in for you that, that you were queer? Um, (laughs) I think I've been like, I, I never, I never really felt like I had to come out because again, my parents were so kind and accepting. And also like, I, I think I had inklings really early on. It was probably when I was like 13 or 14 that I knew that I was interested in girls. Um, and it was, but that's changed a lot as well. Cause I think, <laughs> okay. I'm curious what you think about this. I've never said this anywhere in, in public, but I actually think if I hadn't been so interested in sex and like interested in sexuality that I would have realized I was a lesbian a lot earlier. And I, I think it was only like last year, two years ago that I like, I, I think I realized that I'm like probably like interested in lesbian culture and interested in only women enough to like, like, I, I, I don't, really super hook up with men anymore. And like, that has been so great for me because I just kind of didn't really like it that, all that much. And like, so yeah, so I'm a lesbian, but like, I think that I would have realized that a lot earlier if I weren't just like so interested in like 
sex generally. Like even when I didn't really like having it with men, I was like very interested in it. <laughs> um, and like wanted to explore it. So yeah, yeah, I think I realized I liked girls when I was like 13 or 14, but I think I only realized that like I pretty much, and, and you know, it, I, I'm like open to anything, but like, I think I pretty much consistently for the last couple of years have like only been interested in women and that's more, much more recent for me. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, for sharing that. <laughs> I think that, um, you know, you, you say maybe if I hadn't have been so interested in, in sex in general, like I would have figured this out sooner, but looking back, do you feel like that exploration was positive for you in that, in over the years? Absolutely. And I think that like, yeah, I have no, I have uh, very few sexual regrets. And I think that I also think it's nice to know the differences between like the kind of desire I experienced when I was younger and the kinds that I do now and like tracking those as changes rather like, I feel like it was actually something Zachary said to me once about like desire and like, sometimes like, I think we were talking about labels and like the label of like primary partner and non-primary partner, but like about how like they should be descriptive, not prescriptive. And like, I think that, um, yeah, labels are not so important to me. Actually, like they're actively, I actively dislike most of them all the time, but I think that, um, the process of like realizing or like not even realizing, but like just actually what had happened was it was like the summer of 2021 and like the very beginning. And I was like, okay, like I keep having these hookups with men that are like, I'm not enjoying for some reason. Actually, I would like go freak out. Like I would, (laughs) I would like make out with the guy in the car. And then I would like go to the bathroom, look at myself in the mirror and be like that. And then I'm sorry, it's for all the listeners. I'm just like pointing at myself with finger guns in the mirror. Um, (laughs) um, and I think that like the process of, I, and, and so what I said is I was like, I don't know if I'm a lesbian in 2021, but I'm just going to spend the summer only hooking up with women and I'm going to see how it feels. And if I like it, then that's great. And I'll keep doing it. And if not, then like, I'll keep, you know, seeking out men. And then I just really liked it. And I like, didn't miss anything. And I was like very happy and very sexually fulfilled in a way that I hadn't been before. And I guess, I, I guess so in answer to your question, I don't regret any of my earlier exploration. And I actually think the process of like coming to figure out what my like desires were was so great for me. Like the process of being like, Oh, these are the different kinds of desire I felt. And like, I felt certain kinds of ways with men. And like, I feel this totally different kind of desire with women. That is like the one that I want to like pursue in a really serious way. So that was great because I felt like I learned a lot about myself and other people. And awesome. yeah. 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 I love that. And I, I have a follow-up and yeah. and, I, and I'm realizing this, this interview is not going to take a linear trajectory and that's nope. okay. <laughs> no, because, I'm so sorry. Also, please like, no, drive no, no. me back. Cause I want to hear all your uh-uh. questions. <laughs> not at all. Nope. Not it at all. It does not have to be linear. It's I, all good. I, I'm going to throw another, another quote at you. Ironically, I was thinking of it before you brought up your Zach quote. This is a Zach quote and his quote, uh, this was on the orgy episode we did where he said, I, Pretty much in the world, I present as a cis hetero male, but not at orgies. At orgies, I'm game for all things. Hmm. And I'm curious how that statement, as a fellow organizer <laughs> and orgy orgy attender, yeah. how does that how does that statement land for you? Yeah, I mean I think this is a non-monogamy thing too. Um, I feel like I am interested in just like being fully engaged in the world and like really connecting with other people. And I don't think that for me, like, I don't think that always means having sex with everybody or like having to do that, but in like being really open with my, like every realm of myself. So it means that like, I, 
that this is not actually answering your question, but I'm going to come back to your question. I promise. Um, but it means that like, I, even when I, I don't think I would like be interested in pursuing a serious romantic or sexual relationship with men, unless like, you know, the perfect one comes along and then I will, but like, I still like to flirt and I still like to like, I don't know. I'm not interested in saying like, I don't want to like look at you this way or connect at you this way because of something. Mm -hmm. I just like know what I like. Like I know who I like to have sex with and I know who I like to like be in relationships with. Um, Mm -hmm. but for me, that doesn't have much to do with like flirting or the relationship dynamic that I like to cultivate with someone. And like, I think, yeah, I love, I love a spark. And I think sometimes flirtation is like a really great way to have a conversation with somebody. I actually think all the best conversations are like a little bit flirtatious, but all to say what this means at orgies is that like, I feel similarly, I feel like I will, I, and, and again, so I'm having, there's another one on Saturday. I was saying that there's the next Yale orgy this Saturday, it's called tinsel tits. And I, I expect that like, if normally like flirting with a man is fine, is fine with me because it's a way to connect and charge like at orgies, I'll make out with anybody. Um, because I think it's fun (laughs) and I like to, and then I think I, I still feel like my tendencies towards like who I will end up like doing more with are usually women, but, um, actually it's always been, (laughs) it's always been women, but, (laughs) um, but I think that like, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess that's my equivalent. It's like, if, even though I'm a lesbian, like at a bar, I'll flirt with a man and orgy, I'll make out with a man. Like, it's just, it's for, it's for fun. It's to connect. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Also, like, yeah. if the lesbians of the world don't like that me in this podcast, that's totally fine, and you can they can just I don't I can I can take it all back or something. <laughs> I don't no, you don't no, don't take it back. And I wasn't trying you, to. You are you. Yeah. yeah. And, and I wasn't trying to force you out of your lesbian box. No. And that's a, but, no. I, yeah, and I also think like I don't. Yeah, it's like pretty much the only label that I like. I really am like very anti most labels, and so I, you know, there's a world in which yeah. like in a couple years I like don't like this one anymore. But I think it's mostly because it was like really materially useful for me. Like I was like constantly making out with men and like feeling so weird after for no reason. And then I was like, okay, well, what if you just pretended that you were a lesbian? And then, and then since then I haven't like really, I don't know. It was just, it was like a useful label, which I think is, mm-hmm. this is all very annoying and you should cut it, but um. it is not, it is not, no, it, I, then let's dive into the label piece because, okay. I, and before we do, I just want to say, I wasn't trying to for again, force you out of the lesbian into being bisexual. No, it you're was perfect. to come to compare the, you were sort of the opposite of what Zach said. He's like, well, I'm yeah. a cis, you know, straight male, cis hetero male. And you're sort of showing up at the orgies as like a, as a lesbian. And I was like, yeah. well, it's a very similar yeah. uh, approach. approach to you show up at an orgy with a, with a, a proclivity towards one gender maybe. Mm-hmm. But does that hold true in, a, in different environments? And it sounds like for you, it's a very somewhat fluid Yeah, it is a little, it's a little bit fluid. And I think that like, I also, you don't have to worry about it at all. I think that like attachment to like, I I don't know. I I think that, I I, I think that what you said was great. (laughs) I liked what you said. (laughs) You can cut that too. Would would you be, would you be open to expanding on the label piece? Because hearing that, that, that the label, you don't like labels, but this label had a particular use in your life Mm -hmm. and it was particularly important. I would love to hear more about that because I think that's probably a very relatable thing for a lot of people as well. I'm really curious about this for you all. Cause I think that like, there've been some, um, parts of like non-monogamy and polyamory that I've not connected to because a lot of it is like, not a lot of it, but like I've, I've met some people who are pretty label focused. And I think that I find it like a little bit, um, 
the, uh, like, at least for what I'm seeking out of non-monogamy or like out of like, um, a non-monogamy mindset is a little bit more about like freeing up relationships to provide lots of different things. And like for different relationships to have super important roles in your life. And I think that sometimes I like, I, I think that there's like the, the different kinds of labels for like different kinds of partners. Like I know I've heard about like the comet partner and the nesting partner and that these kinds of things. And I think sometimes they can like, I, I don't know. I, I have trouble connecting to those because I feel like for me, relationships aren't there to like provide us. And this is not what, you know, all, all people who use those labels are, are thinking, but like, I feel like that would try to box certain kinds of people into providing specific needs or specific roles in my life. And I think that like, I like to have certain labels that are there when they feel really obvious or when they feel like really comfortable or, or really helping you with a particular material thing. But like, I don't know. I like to leave my, my relationships open to change and open to like mm-hmm. having different kinds of roles. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's like, there's like a, a couple people I could probably have earlier in my life, like called my comet partners or called my like certain, yeah. Like even a nesting partner too. But I think that I didn't because I felt like that would have been really detrimental to like just leaving the relationship open to change. And now those relationships have changed and I feel like that's really great for the relationship. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's also like, it just feels like I, I think that this is maybe me particular. Um, and I'm really curious about your rules about this as well, but I just think like mm-hmm. a lot of the ways that I talk, like the way that I talk, the way that I like do class, like honestly, the way that I like engage academically, like have so much to do with sex. <laughs> and like, I think that like, if, if I had a partner who didn't know that, or like was surprised by that or didn't want that, then that would be, I'm sure very hard for them, but also really hard for me. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They know those things going in. <laughs> I try to make, I try to make it. No, I mean, I'm the originizer. Or they learn like, them. How do you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, or they learn them very quickly and then they can opt in or opt out. Yeah. I think also, yeah. yeah. Go for it. No, I, I just, I wanted to maybe touch on this because I think it plays a bigger role and and it maybe ties into something that, that we talked about off recording that, that we talked about weaving in here around your being as interested you, as you are in sex not necessarily for the sake of having it but just in general the curiosity and i think there's so much conditioning especially as a as a female presenting and as somebody who identifies right she her pronouns to, to be out in the world that interested in sex, it's so easy for them to be like, oh, she's a slut. Oh, she's just a loose woman. And all of these negative things, and not that I think slut has been reclaimed at this point for, for, for better. And so, but just how has that played a role in your life as a, a woman who grew up just very interested in it? Mm-hmm. And maybe you're like, I, just things that I can think through, and I don't want to like put all the words in your mouth, but the, you're talking about it with somebody, and they're just like, "Oh well, she's talking about sex; she must want to have sex." Yeah, totally. And that that balance of how do you show up in the world curious without it being late? You, you I don't know. That just seems like a really challenging place. And I know I come at it from the opposite end, where oh, he's just a dude; he just loves talking. He's always mm-hmm. thinking about sex because that's what dudes do. And you're sort of on the flip side of that coin. This is such a kind question. I, I think that, um, 
I, I would like to first credit once again, my beautiful mother. I don't know if actually I'm going to, going to let her listen to this, but if I do, I, I think I just am so grateful actually to both of my parents that I was raised with so little shame about sex. And I think that like, I feel like a lot of the people that I've met either from religious reasons or from just general American cultural upbringing have so much shame about sex. And, you know, sometimes it's shame about queerness and like, sometimes it's shame about just sex. Generally, I've met a lot of men like straight men who feel a lot of shame. Um, and I think that that's coming from a lot of directions. And so I'm grateful that I didn't grow up with that. And I try very hard to like impart that lack of shame. You know, my parents are doing a great job with my brother too, but like, I try to also like add on to the, like not feeling shame about it. Um, so I think that that, that is just like half the battle truly is like, I think that, um, if I feel good about myself and like, you know, I, I think that like, I still, it's very important to me to develop a really strong sense of sexual ethics and sexual morality. Like I want to be, yeah. And th- we should come back to that, but like, I don't feel shame about having sex or wanting to have sex or like being interested in it. I think, I think it's been hard for me in one way that you didn't mention, which is, um, which like, cause yeah, obviously how would you know, but th- is that I, I do talk about it a lot. And I think that like, I kind of gained a little, like, I, you know, I, I, I try to learn how to be like conscious of what people, other people want to talk about, but it was to the point that like, I, I got a new roommate and she was so dear. And she was like, you know, like your old housemate, like told me that you are like just so sexually liberated. And I think that's like so awesome. And I hope that you will talk with me about it all the time. And I was like lit. And I was like very happy to do that. Like, that sounds great to me. Um, but at that particular time I had like just had a very difficult, like I had like actually kind of a series of like shitty and like some of them like kind of pretty actively traumatizing sexual experiences, which like hadn't really happened for me before. And so I was going through a really hard sexual moment. (laughs) And like, I think that, um, it was funny and there was no way she could have known that. And on the one hand I was like flattered and, and happy that like, you know, I, I know she was really religious and like was kind of excited by the possibility of someone who like wanted to talk about all the time. But like, also I, I think that like, it reminded me that maybe sometimes there's some things that I can keep to myself and like some, I don't always need to be talking about sex and I don't always need to be like having the answers because I don't have all the answers. And like, I can sometimes just take like a few moments to be kind to myself and like, you know, be doing the wrong things sexually or like, um, making mistakes or yeah. So I, I think that was, that was a little bit hard. It's hard to be like a paragon. It's hard to be a sex goddess is all I'm saying, but not really. <laughs> well, <laughs> well but you can, you can have some privacy in, in your experience and in your life too, and still be talking about it and sharing and, and everything. Well, while still honoring what you need in your life for you. Yeah. Like to keep to yourself. I was wondering if you if I if I could pick at it one more time, Rose, Please. because what I what I almost heard in there, and maybe I missed it, was you were super excited to potentially talk about it, but maybe because of the experiences you had, and you said it wasn't necessarily shame, but they were traumatic for you, and then you said like I didn't want to feel like I had to always have the answers. Was there some type of worry that if you if you weren't showing up with like positive stories, stories of the good experiences and the ways that sex is a, a good, positive experience that it was maybe harder to talk about. You didn't want to give her the wrong idea or scare her or some other piece along that line. Yeah. And I think also part of that for me, and I, I haven't actually heard anyone talk about this after like, you know, being assaulted or like having a difficult experience is like, I, there is some element where like, I feel like I want to be a sexual person and like for the rest of my life. And like, I kind of know that that 
comes with risks. And like, to me that, you know, it maybe is, shouldn't a trade-off that I should have to make. And like, there are ways to keep myself safe, but also like that is a a trade-off that I'm willing to make. And like, I think that that it was, I didn't really know how to talk about that with her because like, I didn't want her to be like, Oh, that's so, you know, like I didn't, Oh, that's so awful. Like, and I also knew that like, there's so much when you have shame, like so much to be scared of anyway. And I think the other thing that was difficult is like, I don't know. There's so much shame for a lot of my friends and like a lot of people that I know like about being queer anyway. And like, so the idea that, you know, and I think that some women like retreat to queerness or like say that they want to, because they think that it's safe. And so like, you know, I had been like some of the bad experiences I had were with women. Like, and so I think that that was like very difficult, um, to, I'm sure not more difficult than like if it had been with a man, but I think it was difficult to like negotiate talking about with people because, I didn't want to be like, well, women are not safe, but I, I do kind of want to be like, well, no one is safe for sure. So you should really just go and have like a very nice time. And like that, that's kind of, that's kind of my gist is I don't think, I don't think that there's like any way to protect yourself from everything, but I do think that like, it's, I think it's worth it. Like I think connecting with people is worth it. Like love is dangerous. And so, you know, and like, there's like so much gendered violence and so much like sexual violence. And I still think it's worth it to like have sex and try your best and like, I don't know. So uh, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's my thought. And that was why it was like a little hard to, to chat with her. Yeah. And I, first of all, I want to say like, I'm sorry you have had those experiences and yeah. Are, are you in a space to like, can, to answer another question or two about it or would you like to move? Yeah, out? totally. No, that's great. Okay. Because I, I think it's a really important thing. And you, you said that you don't really hear anybody talk about this and the, the takeaway that I heard was sort of, it is risky. Obviously, nobody, you don't want anybody to ever get hurt. But for you, the potential risk in getting hurt is worth it for you to keep exploring and having experiences and keep pushing yourself. And not that you're out there like inviting danger, but that you're finding different ways to navigate your sexuality. So maybe it becomes safer and safer while you continue to expand your experiences. Yeah. That's such a beautiful way to put it. Absolutely. And I just think it's like, I don't know, it just is such a, like, I think sex is such an enriching part of life and talking about it is so important. And I think that, I I don't know, I had like another friend who was assaulted also by a woman. And I think she had a very hard time feeling like she was like, it was so hard to explain to like her relative, like not that she was explaining it to every relative, but like that, you know, relatives are already like believing that like it's bad to be queer. It's bad to be lesbian. It like, doesn't, it isn't something that's like good for you. It's perverted. And I think that like, obviously aside from the fact that there's like so much gendered violence, like far exceeding the amount of like intra lesbian violence, but like, it's just, is so hard when it's like a member of your community and like to try to justify to yourself why it's like, um, still good, <laughs> still good, still worth it. Like still, um, which it, which it so is, I don't know. And like, now I'm so in love. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like the, that situation, like a bad situation could happen to anyone. Like, exactly. Like that, it really can. Like we can, we can plan and do the best we can and, and be as, you know, but we all want to live life. 
And like you said, I think there's so much value. Like we're humans. We want connection. We want intimacy. And that's part of being human. And yet there's an inherent risk and danger in that. And there can be, and we can follow all of our internal guidance of like being in safe situations and still make mistakes and still have, you know, still have things happen. And it's, it just, it's unfortunately part of it. Yeah. Um, I feel the same. I feel such the same way. And I also think that's why like it should be, this is also a separate thing, but like I, it kind of helped me develop this like philosophy on sex education and like on other things, which is we are so, I feel like everyone, like, especially on the left are like really focused on trying to prevent the bad things, like preventing danger. But I think that like, actually people will be a lot more safer sexually, like a lot more safe sexually and also happier if we focus more on like, how do you identify your own desire? How do you figure out what you want? How do you figure out like, how do you like connect with your partner in really fruitful way? I don't know. I just feel like there's, it could be so much more positive and like, that would help us connect with each other better rather than being like, there's all this danger and like, you need to be afraid and like, you need to protect yourself in these ways. Well, and, and, and two, like also if something happens, then how do you talk about it? How do you get the support you need? How do you, how do you move through that? Yeah. Uh, because, and, and move on like, and go back to like figuring out what you want and all of those types of things. Like, just like, you know, pretending that sex doesn't exist. Yeah. (laughs) It's not the answer. No, it's not. It does exist and it rocks. Well, and, and so coming out of those experiences, what, what have you done to maybe keep yourself safer sexually, emotionally, physically in all of the ways? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the first thing is like, I think that I was like, I want to make a real commitment to like not being afraid and like to not spending all of my energy trying to figure out how to keep myself safe. Because if I were trying to keep myself safe, then I would just never have sex. And I think that, you know, and I still, and I still wouldn't be safe, you know, as, Mm -hmm. but like, I, I, but I pretty much, you know, now that I'm like older and I, I haven't experienced any family violence and like, I, I would likely be pretty safe if I just never had sex again, but, or like never interacted with anyone ever again, (laughs) but I wouldn't really be because I think that like, then I would be deprived of human connection, which is of course so important. But I think that like the ways that I, so yeah, I I guess you can cut that out if you, but I think that, (laughs) um, the, I think that, so, so first and foremost, I think I tried not to be like, how do I just keep myself safer and safer and rather say like, okay, how can I have more enriching experiences that I want? And how can I be more aware of my own boundaries in a way that is like useful? Cause yeah. Yeah. I was like, um, I think that would have been helpful for me, even if it wouldn't have like stopped anything. It was like, it would have been good. And I, so like, yeah, I think, I think being aware of like your own desires is really important for like both for getting what you want and also for being safe. And I think, I mean, yeah, the other thing is just like now I'm in love with someone who I trust so, 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 so much. And that is like quite, quite nice. And I think that like knowing how that feels is also really good. And I, and I feel for people, um, I think it's important to like one time be like really loved in a way that is, uh, very nice and safe and trusting. And that is just has like cascading impacts that are very wonderful is what I think. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. Um, (laughs) On that note, could you provide, you know, a couple of examples outside? I mean, I know you're in your in a relationship and that has taught you how to have, have that experience. I mean, you've had right. that experience and that's informed a lot of where you're at. But how else have you specifically helped yourself stay safe in the sexual situations? 
Okay. Interesting. Um, well, first of all, I want to clarify something, which is like, I, I have been loved so many times by so well by like everybody in the whole world. But I just, I think I was meaning that like, yeah, it's, it's a nice thing. Um, and I, what, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I've been yeah, loved, yeah. I've been loved yeah. very well, um, by everybody that I've encountered, but, um, which, which, which I just, I, <laughs> it informs, it does yeah. inform things. It, it helps you yeah. because you have that experience in, in that connection with somebody, um, multiple people and, uh, that definitely informs like obviously your life in general, but I was just, you know, the yeah. curious how trying to think of some people that listen, want like concrete. Takeaways. You're going to, you're going to tinsel tits. How do you keep yourself safe? <laughs> and that's, that's what I'm striving for. I'm okay. Okay. So here's my thoughts on this. I think that, um, a lot of people will try to keep themselves safe through preventative measures. Like how do you make sure that you don't end up in a Like, and you know, it's good to like figure out how to not end up in situations where like your boundaries are being pressured. But I think that like the number one way to stay safe and the, like, or I don't know, I think like the number, the thing that I like to think about and encourage is like just being really aware of and like really exploring to figure out what your own desires are. I also think that people are really afraid of like pushing their comfort zone. Um, and I think paradoxically, like pushing your comfort zone is a really good way to, to stay comfortable. Like I think at, at tinsel tits, <laughs> I always say that like, you are not, um, and I think I'm actually pretty sure that Zachary wrote this in his very first email to the orgy pan list, but I still keep it on there and I really like it. And it's the, um, like you are not being forced out of your comfort zone, but you will be invited to expand it. And I think that like, it's very easy to be like, I'm just going to stay within what feels comfortable and what feels safe forever. But like, I, I feel like if you, trying a new thing, like say I'm like, okay, I don't know if I want to make out with a man. And then I'm like, I'm going to try it. And then I'm going to like be aware of my body signals and feel how I'm feeling and enjoy the experience. And then I go make out with the man. And then I think, how did I feel? And I feel like knowing how to do that and not being afraid of like an uncomfortable feeling. I also think that I don't want people to be like really afraid of, um, hitting on anyone or like really afraid of interacting sexually. Because I think if you like make your desires known, um, in a environment that is comfortable for everybody. And then like are aware of like the possibility that you might be rejected or the possibility. I don't know. I think that like being really clear about your own desires and being really like clear with your partner about those desires is like a very good way to stay safe and for your partner to stay safe too. Yeah. I, I love that point the, the desires I think is super important. And the other, the other piece that I sounded like you were touching on is also the boundary piece of yeah. like, I, I, which plays right into it. I, I know I want to try these things. I want to push an edge. And yet in the moment then being willing and able to, uh, and, and in the space where you feel safe saying no of like, okay, yeah. I, I, I wanted to push my boundary. I went here. This was a desire I really wanted to explore. And yet, uh, I'm, I'm at a place where I'm, I'm, I'm done for that with that right now. And that doesn't yeah. mean you might not come back to it, but well, I think there's some some things you can do in those moments to set up that experience. So it is so not just safe for you, but safe for the person you're engaging with. And yeah, because it is you know, you're you 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 made the comment like, well, I wanted to try this, but then you get to a point where like, okay, maybe I'm done trying it. But who's to say the person you're trying that with is like, well, I'm not done. Right. Like they wanted to keep, and so now you're in a situation that is potentially. It could be hurtful, harmful, or dangerous. And I think so just some thoughts that came to me were like, if let's say you were going to go, you're like, I don't know if I really want to make out with a man, but perhaps, and maybe this one, right? So then having that conversation with them and be like, hey, I don't 
really make out with men that often. And I'm kind of interested, but I wanted to let you know that like, I don't know what my reaction is going to be. So if I have a little, if I seem a little off, it's, it's that's why, how do you feel about that? Because yeah. in some sense, you're sort of experimenting with somebody. Yeah. It's kind of nice to let them know the experiment that they're Absolutely. part of. I think this was something from my, from my like lovely experiences of like making out with men and then like not having a good time and it wasn't anybody's fault. Like I, I think that like I realized there's something that was very important to me where I was like probably like the guy doesn't really want to be making out with me if like he knew that I was like going to go and like do finger guns to myself in the mirror after like <laughs> afterwards. And so it's like, I think being upfront about your desires is really good for everybody. Like, cause presumably everybody wants to like have a nice time. And I think, okay, I have three concrete things about, about like my ideas about staying safe and like responsibility. One, um, I think, so I throw orgies, right. And it's so fun. And I think it made me really aware of like sexual responsibility. Like, I think we, I think it's important for like polyamorous people. I think it's important for monogamous people, but that like, we don't just have sexual responsibilities to ourselves. We have them to others. And we also like, I think we should like develop a more concrete sense, like a progressive sense of like sexual responsibility for our community. And so like, I don't know if like, it doesn't, it's not just like, am I violating anyone's boundaries? It's also like, is it the middle of monkeypox and I'm throwing an orgy? Like, is that a bad idea? Like, should I not be doing that? Or like, is there a better way to keep everybody safe on this like larger public health level? And I think those things like are related to our responsibilities. I forgot my other two. I should have written them down, mm-hmm. but I'll come up. I'll, I'll, I'll remember them later. They'll, they'll come back. Well, and maybe uh, as we continue the conversation, I think was a, a piece that came up or a thought that came up and I have opinions on it, but I'm curious your opinion. <laughs> no, you? <laughs> yeah, <me. laughs> yes, I am opinionated. The, the environment of an orgy for push it for, for inviting people outside of their boundaries. And I, yeah. cause I, I hear that like that line in an email, I think you could take that line in an email and go, way off and say, oh, we're, you're going to coerce people, right? Or you can, there's a different direction you can go with that in the context of um, of an environment like that, being conducive to to where you can explore and you're not, you're not alone. And so I'm curious yeah. at your thoughts on that. And I, I maybe let a little too many of mine out, but <laughs> no, I'm curious like your thoughts that. on that environment as a container for, for exploration and stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Well, okay. I wrote this paper. This is like the edgiest paper I've ever written, but have you read Foucault's heterotopia? It's like this idea that like there are certain spaces in society where like multiple functions overlap. And then like, when you go into them, they might be good or bad. Like there's a kind of like net, like morally neutral, but like he gave the example of a cemetery, like a cemetery is where the living go to interact with the dead. That's two different functions. And therefore, like sometimes when you go into a cemetery, like the potential for how you think about everything else shifts. And that's kind of how I feel about orgies. I think that like, I do not think going to a thousand orgies is like the best way to become sexually liberated or to like explore new things. But I think that what going to an orgy once or twice does, especially (laughs) I think I'm like really a proponent for like everyone in the world going to an orgy, like maybe one time and just checking it out. And, you know, I was never pushed anyone into it, but like, I, I think that what that does is it allows you to say, okay, all of the sexual norms that I experience on a daily basis, maybe are also arbitrary because like, 
I feel like when you go to an orgy, all of the sexual norms are arbitrary, right? Like I, I give a little, we do a circle up. So like I say, here are some rules. Like our rules are like, if you're too intoxicated to like participate and pay attention to how everyone is feeling, then like, you're not invited anymore. Like we have specific consent rules. So like there's super affirmative verbal consent at orgies just because it's such a like, um, you know, it's a space where everyone is having sex and like, it's a little bit harder to tell with, with body language and with everything, how people are feeling. And so like, I think things to me be a little bit more explicit and unambiguous than they do in everyday life. So like, those are some rules that I think really help to keep people like safe and comfortable. But like, honestly, those rules are like really also arbitrary. Like someone came up with them and someone said like, these are to help keep each other safe and keep us safe. But I think that like, if you go in here and those are the rules and then also like the norms, like who, you know, the way to like tap someone on a shoulder and like ask to join in a threesome or like people who are in a specific bedroom having sex, just the two of them while everyone else is like out in the main living room, like fucking like animals. I think that like, those are particular like ways that the space can exist. And like, I'm, I'm babbling a little bit now, but what I mean is if you go into an orgy and you see things that are so different than you see in your everyday life, then you might come out of the orgy and be like, okay, I don't know if I like the orgy's norms, but I certainly like, am not so tied to like my own norms. And I think that's, so that's my, like, that's my little like academic like explanation of why I think that they're a cool space. I feel like, and if you go in and you see, like, I feel like also I was thinking about one time my friend was telling me that like she had kind of a a difficult time at one of the orgies because like there was this guy, he was super hot and he just had like, you know, these like six girls on his arm who were just like really conventionally attractive. And she was like, this is really not any different than what I see just all the time. And I think that's interesting too, because I'm like, yes, but at the orgy, you noticed it, right? Like normally you're like, that's just how the way the world works. But at the orgy, you're like, oh, this isn't right. Like that's, that's also arbitrary. So I don't know. I think it's like good to go and just to kind of expand your sense of, um, things. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. And, yes. and we're pro orgy. So we, 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 we got you. <laughs> we got you. I, <laughs> I, I loved your approach and I love, I think what's interesting is um, I come at it. And I think m- when I think about it, mine was maybe a little more concrete. I, that's probably the engineer. Tell me, please. Me, um, <laughs> It's a safer, I think it's a physically, it can be a physically safer space to explore because you yeah. are, you are surrounded by other people. And if the orgy is set up in the way that you described, which I'm so glad you did with an opening circle, you go around, you talk about the norms, you talk about consent. Mm-hmm. And we, we've hosted events like this where you, what is each person into? And this, I think, depends sometimes on the size of the group, but you know, these are my goes, these are my no goes. These are yeah. things to, even disclosing sexual uh, health status and those types of things. So if you set that container in that way where people then they feel safe and empowered in that space, they can, they can do the thing where they're like, I don't know if I really want to do this, but I know there's seven or eight or 10 other people or 50 other people who've got my back. Yeah. If if I don't want to be doing this anymore and this person decides they want to keep doing it, I can, I can throw up a red flag and mm-hmm. somebody's going to have my back and I'm not yeah. alone in a room somewhere where who knows when I decide I'm done with the experiment and they're not, then you, then it's a mystery, right? That's yeah. where shit can get really dangerous. So I think so too. And I just think it's like, it's a great thing that a community can do. And I, I think it's complicated obviously, because you don't just like step into an orgy and step out of like every 
identity that you have or like every material circumstance that you're in. Um, you don't like go to an orgy and stop being a woman. You don't go to, an orgy. well, sometimes you do. I don't know. Like some people might, um, which is cool. Like in which it is cool. If like, you feel like there's like things you can transcend, but I'm not convinced mm-hmm. that like it is possible to like always transcend or bracket, like the experience of oppression or like violence, but you can go to an orgy and like have a very nice time and explore lots of different things and feel like, like you said, that there's like intervention that is available right next to you. And that like, there's all of this immediate noticing if something looks wrong or looks bad. And I think that's very cool. And I also, I don't know, I feel like I spend a lot of time thinking in classes too, like about how can we like foster that amount of like community responsibility and like, uh, sexual responsibility that like everyone in an orgy feels like they have. Like, I really think that like you are like responsible for yourself, but you're also responsible for every person you make out with. And you're also responsible for like everybody you don't touch. And I think that's really sick. And I wonder like how we could do that in other institutions that aren't, where we're not like actually having sex at every specific time. Yeah. 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 The fact that you're responsible for the person across the room, even if you've never even talked to them, but you see something happening, you, you're there. You, you, you all have each other's back. Right? Your responsibility yeah. to speak up. Yeah. 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 I think that's huge. Yeah. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Please. <laughs> I was going to say, we can go back to chronology too. We can do whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> I was going to say, we, you know, we love to, to talk about bloopers and I wanted to see if you have any really fun experiences or funny experiences, uh, that you'd be willing to share where there has been a blooper. It can be sexual or not. Ooh. Yeah. At an orgy. Anywhere. Anywhere. Generally. Okay. It's basically, basically to show that sex and relationships don't always go like we plan them to. Oh, that's yeah, absolutely true. Okay. Let me think about what I can say. Okay. I have a couple. There was the orgy stories. Perfect. (laughs) So I, well, this is not so funny, but they used to, um, there used to be like a a couple of traditional snacks that were served at the Yale orgies, one Oreos, two strawberries, three like wine. And I think that that was great. And I liked this and I went like my first couple of years and I like had a great time and liked them. And then, uh, my friend and I got the reins and we were like going to elevate it. And so this is actually not funny. It just is like, we were like, I, I just think it, I think what's funny about it. So, so, so we appointed a bartender and they're always a person who wants to come, but doesn't want to participate. And you'd be surprised how many people like ask me that they're like, Hey, Hey, hey like, can we come? But like, do I have to do anything? And I was like, no. And then they were like, I feel still really nervous about coming. Like, I really, really, really don't want to do anything. And I'm like, great. Why don't you just be our bartender? And so we always have a bartender now these days and we serve these drinks and it is like on these reflections. So we also send out reflection forms after. And like, you'd think that like people would reflect on the sex, but everybody reflects on the drinks. Everyone is like, those drinks were amazing. The charcuterie board, amazing. And like, it just really gets people in the mood. So I don't know if that's like a tip for anybody who's throwing sex parties, but like the more elevated the drinks and the more elevated the cheese plates, apparently like the better time everybody will have. And I think that, okay. I got to interject, but go finish, yes, finish, finish, finish. Yes. Wait, no, that's the end of that one. I'll tell you more though. Okay. So, so it sounds like you've gone from Oreos, strawberries and wine to more like charcuterie cheese plate <laughs> and and fancier like maybe cocktails in some way yeah we do like a special drink for each orgy we still have to figure out what the tinsel tits one is um but it's still i love it so our 
The reason we both cracked up, and uh, <laughs> probably anybody saw this when you said cheese plate, the first time we were really introduced to, I would say, let's call them Sex good party. orgy etiquette. Edu- oh my gosh. Good orgy etiquette. Yes? Yes. I'll leave that in. Why not? <laughs> um, was at a, at a resort in Mexico, and the this was the first time we saw like people circling up and doing the share circle and doing the consent and yeah. really doing this in a really amazing way. But whenever this, this couple would host a party, they would order this big cheese and wine plate from like room service. <laughs> and so the, the orgy, the code name for the orgies was cheese plates. Love and it. so when you said, when you said cheese plate, we were both like, Oh, yeah. memories. <laughs> well, did it increase your experience? Cause like, I feel like I, I guess cause I've, I've like only been to the ones that I really liked when I was younger and the ones I've hosted. So like, I feel like I don't have a sense of like whether I would have a much better time in an orgy with a cheese plate or not, but I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious about what it is for you, for you guys. Okay. You, you asked, you asked early for something that nobody else knows that we've not <gasps> shared on the show. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. All right. I'm not sure which story you're going to <laughs> I wouldn't say my favorite part about going to a cheese plate is the cheese plate, but it's high. It's yeah. high up there for me. I love eating. And so there was, an, there was a cheese plate at this resort, and it was a pretty – there was a lot of stuff happening, but I, I also, like, I go in and uh, – I didn't mean for that 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 double entendre to be there. I, <laughs> I phase in and out of the experience so I can be part of it. And then I also like to just kind of be in the periphery. But I also like to eat. And so what happened was I think I ate like seven or eight packages of they were essentially saltines, but they were like small, like you know, packs of four. And <laughs> I don't remember stashing the wrappers under the couch, but apparently the next day <laughs> they found like three wrappers. I think I think I had set them on the arm and they fell off, and so they got <laughs> I, I would not intentionally hide food, but so uh, food wrappers. But they were like, yeah, we found like four wrappers of saltines like under the couch, and they're like. I think Finn was, I was like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> totally me just over there eating crackers while everybody else was having an orgy. So That's so the cheese, funny. Cheese plates totally are a very it. important part of an orgy is the food, the cuisine. And I know there are a lot of people who disagree and they say, should never have food at an orgy. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in the opposite camp. I strongly believe food is a requirement. Yeah. I think that like also for listeners who have never thrown one or never been to one, I think it's important that it's in like a specific room. Like, I don't think that there should just be like snacks in every room. Cause I feel like that would get a little messy and I don't, I don't yes. want that. Like no one wants to clean that up. But I think that like you have a little room where people can go get drinks and they can cool down. And like one time we had a bowl of whipped cream that my friend made and l- people went nuts. And then, and then, and then all the reviews were about the whipped cream. I was like, aren't you guys like having sex? Like, isn't that like, the? <laughs> but everyone loved, everyone loved the whipped cream and they like put it on each other and stuff. So anyway, all to say that was cool. And that was like, it needs to stay in the one room. The other, um, I also think that like part of the, th- this is like a little bit gushier, but I feel like something about the the food being there is like, I don't know. I feel like people always like connect with their community over food. And like I, during mm-hmm. organizing meetings, I think that there should always be food when there can be. And like, I think that, um, orgies are not organizing. It's just fun, but, um, there's like something nice about like being able to provide something other than like a space in which to, I mean, I think that like, as 
you obviously know, I think that like a space in which to have sex is like an awesome thing, but there's something nice about being like, also you're going to get fed. And I think that's, um, I don't know, just makes it more convivial. I think it's sweet. Mm -hmm. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) I love it. I think both stories prove a point that sex is about more than sex. Yeah. And it's about, it's about connection, food, being yourself, games, laughter, taking care of what you need to take care of and being yourself. It's such a, so yeah, you're like, oh, well, it's an orgy. It's just going to be about the sex. But like, no, it's about the drinks. It's about the bartends, it's about the energy, the people, the fun. And the sex is almost like an afterthought in some ways, Absolutely, in in some weird way, which is puzzling for a a party that is theoretically sex centric. I also think that like that really, maybe it's just a circle back, but like that really is also how I feel about relationships and like relationship non-monogamy, mm-hmm. which like, you know, as again, I, I feel funny sometimes being on this podcast because, um, I'm not as experienced with relationship non-monogamy. Like I am in some ways, but not in others. But I think that like, to me, it is about a lot more than sex, which is like, I, I really believe in commitment and I believe in loyalty and I believe in like, not the kind of love and sex that is just about like, like that is about relationships. And in, like, I believe in any kind of relationship and entanglement and like, doing things for each other and also like a type of love that like does not limit itself to like being sexually jealous and like only having sex with one another as a way to prove fidelity. I guess like I believe in fidelity and commitment outside of like sexual monogamy. And I think that like that is also about more than sex. And I feel like it is for most polyamorous people that I meet like about more than sex and more about like just living and experiencing the world that way. So I think that's nice. Can I, can I push on that? Please. So it it sounded almost as if for you, sex, sex is an activity much and and long time listeners will get tired of me using tennis, but like tennis, right? So you can go play tennis, you can go play tennis with a friend and that's not considered infidelitous if you're, if you're married, but most people would consider if you went and had sex with your friend, that that would be infidelitous. Yeah. And what I sort of heard you say was you can be committed and fidelitous taking sex off of almost just removing sex from the equation. I think that like, I, hmm, that's really interesting. I'm curious about what you two think about this. Also, I think for me, sex is not like tennis. I feel like it has a lot of like, I've always felt like sex is very sacred and spiritual. Um, but that that sacredness does not always have to be tied to like a monogamous relationship. I think I've had one night stands that felt like, I I just, I guess I don't, I really don't believe in meaningless sex, but I think that like there can be a lot of meaning outside of like long-term romantic relationships. And so like, even when I'm having, I think that sex is transformative. I think it's different than tennis. And I think like, if you have, um, if you play tennis with somebody, it might, it might be transformative, but like if you have sex with someone on a one night stand for me, like even during a one night stand, I think it's important that it like feels, I don't know, not like any particular way, but that like you acknowledge that like there is another being here with like as much meaning and life force as you. And like that, that is like, a, a, I think sex is a really interesting way to like really hammer that point down. So I all to say, like, I think that sex really is important, which is why it's like, also like for me, a, a real dance of like negotiating what sex I want to have in my monogamous relationships and like outside of them or like monogamous relationships and outside of them. But I do think that like, yeah, I, I think that we have this idea that like the only kind of fidelity is if you never have sex with anyone else. And I think I don't believe in that. I think that there are ways to be like uncommitted, unkind, and like not really nurturing the other person while having sex with only them. And there are lots of ways to like be really committed and 
have sex outside of it. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I think about it. What do you, what yeah. do you guys think? How do you feel like, do you feel like sex is just an activity? Is it more than an activity? Is it sometimes an activity and sometimes more? Yeah. It's a great question. Do you want to go Emma or do you want? I know I'm thinking for a second of how to answer this. Because I think there's, I, I agree that sex can be very spiritual. It can be connective, it, it, very connective. It can be, uh, yeah, such a beautiful experience that it, it doesn't feel to me the same as like tennis. However, sex can also like just be sex. Like there, yeah. there can be, like it doesn't have to be wrapped up in super deep emotion. Um, but there's a balance there, I guess I I see it both ways. And I think it just, it depends on the sex can be different experiences based on who you're with. Yeah. Um, I think so too. But it's not, to me, it is different than, than tennis. I think. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. I don't even play tennis, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're like slandering but, tennis. Like, what if tennis is transformative? <laughs> yeah, right. Like that. Yeah, no, no uh, tennis shaming. Like, <laughs> I, I think that's that's exactly it, though, right? So let's like, we'll call it board games, right? I love board games. I could potentially have like a very connective experience playing a board game with somebody, totally, hmm. or playing tennis with somebody. And so I think for me, I I agree. I think I agree with both of you that there is an element of sex, I think because of just the, 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 I think for me, the intimacy of it, right. Getting for me, getting naked is a, is an intimate thing. Some people it's not right. Maybe they're just like, Hey, Hmm. being naked is no big deal for me. It's a bigger deal. Right. I put a little more weight on that. Yeah. And so those intimate connections they are deeper than if I was just to go play a sport or whatever, go have a drink. So it is definitely a different level, but I also think there are different levels of sex, right? Yeah, that is so true. Yeah. It can just be a fun, awesome, like almost sport in some ways, Yeah, or it can be super deep and connective and emotional. And I think it can run the spectrum. I think where I've landed after, exploring it for many, I guess, almost 17 years is that I need to be, I don't need to be the one for everybody that I would have sex with, but I need to feel important enough that, that they would like me to be, I'm not a replaceable body part Yeah, that if I got up and left the room and somebody else walked in, that they would be just as happy Hmm. in that moment. And not that they want me to move in and live there forever, but that for that experience that it was important that it was me that was part of that experience and not that the next day they couldn't have a different experience with somebody different and mine is any less but i need to be important for that amount of time that we're engaged okay okay here's my little question for you first of all i thought that both of what you said was really lovely and emma i also thought you made some good points that like it's it's just different like different kinds of sex are different Mm -hmm. my friend my friend um who i I'm going to raise children within a barn. Always like, she's like, sometimes she's like, I was like, how was, how was the sex? And she's like, it was sports sex. And I think that's a really interesting way to put it. Um, that like yeah. sometimes there's yeah. sex that is like, feels more, I don't know. Like it just, of course it changes and it's important that it changes and feels different each time. But what I was going to say to you, Finn, which I think is 
I thought what you said is really interesting about like not being a replaceable body part. And I'm curious if that's different for you at orgies. Like, cause I feel like sometimes in an orgy, like it's, it's important that the person is there and that they're like experiencing it, but like, it is kind of just about bodies moving together and maybe not always about you specifically. And I'm curious if that like feels okay to you or if that's like not so, and if you don't answer it, you of course don't have to. No, I can answer. I will say I haven't been to an orgy in, in a, in a, in a, in a hot minute, yeah. um, but <laughs> it uh, pre pandemic. <laughs> so my, my, my orgy chops are a bit rusty, <laughs> but I know, I know historically I have had some, trying to think if I've really had an experience where I, I think I, for me, I need to feel some level of interest or desire or connection. It, it, totally. I, I couldn't be like walking through the room and have somebody that I hadn't talked to, hadn't interacted with is like, Hey, anybody else want to like jump in? Like, not me. Like, she yeah. could be the most beautiful person in the world, and I'd be like, not jumping in. Yeah, like totally. it's not. That's not me. Like, I would need to be like, I would love to jump in and go to eat some cheese on the balcony, and we can like Aww. get to know each other, and maybe Play in a, like an hour we could. Right, we'll go play some <laughs> tennis or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, but I I need to have at least a little bit of rapport and a little yeah. bit of understanding that this person is interested in me as a, as a person, not me as a, a body. Yeah. That's really beautiful. It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's gotten deep on our side. I know. <laughs> You're never coming you back so on much. our show again. <laughs> I've battled so much. I'm very, yeah, very grateful you wanted me to come in here. I've, I've talked so much. So thank you for listening no. and chatting. It's, it's been amazing. And I, I know there are other conversations we could definitely have, and we actually talked about having some of them, but we've, we've been talking for 80 minutes and we want to be respectful of your time. The oh time my God. Time yeah, I guess so. When we're, what, uh, prurient? Did I get it right? Prurient, yes. Prurient. Time flies when a couple of prurients are talking. So, um, Let's make sure you come back on and have more conversations about this because it's been fantastic. But is there... Yeah. Anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure to talk about before we do let you go? No, I, I talked about my parents. I think that uh, this is something you mentioned a little bit before, but I guess I would just like to say to any listeners or anybody who's interested in this, like I feel as though I have benefited very, very, very greatly from having parents who are really open about sexuality and like chatting about it and like being open to talking with me and answering my questions. And I think that like that to me is like a sexual responsibility that we have to like our children. And, um, I hope to do that for my kids in like a way that is like as elegant and graceful as my parents did as like, well, I don't know. I like, I like the idea that like, she didn't have to tell me everything about her own sex life in order to like impart the wisdom of non-monogamy onto me, or at least some of it. Um, so I just, yeah. So if you, if you're like raising children and you're not monogamous, I think that's like an incredible endeavor. And I, I think you should continue to, to do so and to feel really comfortable and confident in doing that. I love that. Wonderful. And I am going to say these next couple of questions to prevent the onslaught of emails that would ensue. Uh, would you please talk to your mother and father about joining us? Because there will be inevitably multiple people saying, we want to hear from them. Uh, and okay. the other one they're going to ask for is having, we understand if they're not, if yes, they're not interested, but I'm asking this, I'm asking this for my own, this is self-serving. Okay. 
<laughs> Partly, I would love to have the conversation, but also I know the emails will be coming. So this Aww. is an email preventative measure. <laughs> and also, if you and your mother or father, like the three of you or two of you, would love to come on together and just talk about the experience of navigating this as a, a parent-child dynamic, I think that would be an amazing conversation to have as well. Well, just totally. sex positivity. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Totally. I think that I would definitely chat with my parents about, about maybe doing this, probably just my mom, but I'll, I'll chat with them. Yeah. They're both yeah. fantastic and both very open, but I, I think that just, you know, it, something about a, something about a mom <laughs> might be, might yeah. be yes. I'll chat. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you. And thank you for everything today, Rose. It has been Amazing and good luck at Tinsel Titties. And for anybody listening, <laughs> Tinsel Titties. Tinsel Titties. No, I'm tinsel, sorry. Honestly, I don't know. Tinsel Titties is good. I was really close to calling it Missile Hose, but I think Tinsel Tits was <laughs> was slightly better. And then I keep well, sending the emails. Jingle your balls. I think that's good. I just it's a classic, you know. <laughs> I I think alliteration and puns are a requirement for orgy naming. So I'm in full support, and uh, hopefully, you know, by the time people are listening, Tinsel Tits is long in the past, but the next one is on the horizon. Horizon, and um, we wish you the best on that. Thank you so much, Rose. Thank you so much, Emma and Finn. I appreciate it. And we're back. Thank you, Rose, for coming on and sharing everything you did. We had so much fun talking to you, and we're super excited to get this story out there. Another Yale organizer experience, plus way, way, way more than that. And we are waiting our email about how tinsel tits went. Yes. <laughs> Tits. <laughs> Although I'm going to vote next year they go with Missile Hose. Yeah. Because I think that name <laughs> is, is clever as hell. Yeah. yeah. So thank you, Rose. And uh, we're also working to bring Rose and possibly her mother and maybe her parents on. Again, that's in the works. Stay tuned. Maybe we'll deliver that next Christmas. Maybe. You never know. All right. A few quick reminders. Coming up January 19th, that's a Thursday, we have our next virtual meet and greet. And then also uh, in January, on the weekend of January 28th, we have a community-only in-person event uh, for in the San Francisco Bay Area. So for our community members, you can join the community by going to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and clicking on the community tab. Yeah, there's no vesting schedule. You can join right now and be fully vested in time for the January 28th event. That is correct. (laughs) Just in case you were wondering. And next week, we've got... Ooh, I'm excited about next week. We'll tell them why. Because throwback... Way, way back, way back to the beginning. Get in the way back machine. Yes, episode nineteen was Catherine and EJ in the summer of twenty eighteen. So it was a long time ago. I think we might have even recorded it before we had a podcast. We may have. So we actually have a podcast this time, <laughs> and we have a great conversation with them about everything that's changed since then. Yes. So come back next week and listen to EJ and Catherine. And I think that's it. Until then. Do you have anything else? Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. You stole my words. You asked if I had anything else. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.